The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. If you're checking your line and saying, wait a minute, financial excellence with Game Changers? They haven't been on the air in almost a year. We are back. This is one of our most popular series. Yes, we focus on the financial world. We focus on topics near and dear to CFOs and the Office of the Finance. We've been trying to get them back, and they are here, and what a great topic we have. So let's see what the buzz on the street is, and I'll introduce the topic. So the buzz. Okay, here's a quote from SAP's Thack Brown, who I've interviewed on some other shows. He did an interview with Forbes.com in December 2016. Here's the quote. CFOs need to be able to evaluate and prepare for the impact political, economic, and societal events may have on the organization and take on a more strategic role in planning. So let's go with the evaluate and prepare part, and let's go with more strategic role, and the keyword is planning. So yes, 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 we agree with that. It's time for the Office of Finance to more from scheduled guy, okay, we'll do the yearly, okay, we'll do the quarterly, all right, we'll look back in the rearview mirror, no, no, no. They need to get past the past results only and move into the real world, the impact of real-time information, and become a trusted business guide helping your company move into the future. Well, that sounds like a big change of pace for finance, so how are they going to do it? Keywords, digital transformation. Digital transformation is giving CFOs instant access to what they need. That's a real-time snapshot of fiscal health that lets them help the business leaders at your company understand how to use this immediate access to financial data. It's great to say, we've got data, we've got data, but what are you going to do with it? How do you look at it? How do you analyze it? How do you find the patterns? How do you find those nuggets of wisdom to help you move ahead? So the question on the table today is, Is your CFO ready? Are you ready? We have a panel of three really, really major experts on this topic, and they're going to help us figure it out. Let me just tell you who they are, and then we'll start with our opening quotes. First up, I'm thrilled to welcome back a regular on the series. He's been on so many times. It's Jeff Hattendorf, COO and co-founder of a company called Macrospect. In a few minutes, he'll tell us, remind us what they do. We're welcoming a newcomer. He is Brian T. We won't always use the middle initial, but I want to be formal. Brian T. Kalish, Kalish Consulting, and he is a major player in the financial 
Rachel Space, and we'll find out what he does in a moment. And rounding out the panel, a gentleman from Deloitte, Tiago Bala, Senior Manager at Deloitte Consulting, and a shout-out to Carl and Neil and all our friends at Deloitte. So Jeff is going to kick this off. He sent me a quote from President Dwight D. Eisenhower. This is from the public papers of the Presidents of the United States. Let's go back in time here. Dwight David Ike was his nickname, I-K-E. Uh, he lived from 1890 to 1969, an American politician and army general, 34th President of the United States from 53 to 61, five-star general in the U.S. Army during World War II. And let's see what the quote is. Okay. Plans are worthless, but planning is everything. Is that a tautology or is that rhetorical? Jeff Adendorf, you're driving somewhere in Germany. How are you today? I'm doing well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for calling in. So tell me something. Talk to me about this quote. Uh, you're too young to remember the campaigns of Dwight D. Eisenhower, nicknamed Ike, aren't you? Yes? Yes, I am. I, I don't recall the campaigns, but uh, I have done some reading about him. I'm a, I'm a fan of history. And while this particular quote is not something that I had read in the past, uh, when I was looking at the show topic and, and was looking for quotes, I found this in his papers, and I think it's exactly on point with what we're talking about today. When so, you read that quote from the Forbes article a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. yep. the, the, the art of planning or the practice of planning is how we know what things begin to impact the business. What political, what climate, what drivers outside of the business, what drivers within the business are going to change? In his longer paper, what he wrote about that particular quote after he made it or made the statement was that it wasn't the plan itself that provided value to, to, his, to his career and to his officers in the military, and the same is true in business. It was the actual act of planning because you're trying to plan for the unexpected, which by definition cannot be planned for. So when we do go through the act of planning, we learn what's important into the business. We learn what things to be on the watch for. And as we get into this topic of dynamic planning later in the show, the idea there is not to be planning at every moment of every day, but to know when to go back to the plan and make adjustments. And I think that's why his, his, his quote is spot on for what we're talking about today. Thank you very much. Tell me something, Jeff. Are you safe somewhere or are you still on the road trying to get back to your hotel? What, where is, what's your position? What's your logistics right now? About five minutes from being in my rooms, safely tucked okay. away. Okay, we really appreciate you doing this. I know you wouldn't miss this. And, and welcome back to you and the series. And let me move on now. Brian T. Kalish, our new, one of our newcomers, has sent us a quote from Arthur C. Clarke. Now, if any of you are scratching your head, Arthur C. Clarke being quoted on a show about finance? Oh, come on. He lived from 1917 to 2008. British science fiction writer, that's the key, science writer, futurist, inventor, undersea explorer, and TV series host. Guess what? He co-wrote the screenplay for the 1960s. 68 movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey, widely considered one of the most influential films of all time. There you go. He won all kinds of prizes, and he also was called, his nickname, Prophet of the Space Age, loved the idea of space travel. So here's the quote Brian T. Kalish has selected from Arthur C. Clarke, quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is equivalent to magic. Oh, I love the quote. Brian, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm, very, I'm doing very well, Bonnie. Pleasure to be with you all today. 
We are delighted to have you. So we'll talk about your company in a little while when we do the What's in Your Cup segment. But tell me, are you a big fan of A Space Odyssey and Arthur Clarke? And tell me how the quote relates to our top. We're talking finance here, and he was undersea and outer space. So make the link for me. Sure. So like you said, um, it, Arthur Clarke was a lot of things. He was an author. He was an inventor. He was a philosopher. But like you mentioned, most importantly, uh, he was known as a futurist. So one of the things that he's known for is his three famous laws, of which this one is the most famous. I, as a side note, I thought it was interesting. They asked him why he stopped at three laws. And he basically said, well, Newton stopped at three. And if it was good enough for Newton, it's good enough for me. So what I really see about this quote and what it means to me is that anything and everything is possible. Even if we are incapable of understanding how it would be possible, i.e. magic, it means it could happen. So as we look forward in time, sometimes it's useful to look back in time. So I'm a big believer in Star Trek created all modern technology. So if we look at four things, four items from Star Trek that we thought were you know, incredible, how could they ever happen? Um, think about what we are today. So one of the things is the universal translator. You know, it was tremendous. It didn't matter what language you spoke, you could understand someone else. Fifty years forward, we have apps for that. I mean, so if you think about the changes and the impact and the disruption, the idea that we basically can go anywhere in the world and speak to people, you know, we're at a relatively primitive level today, but, you know, we mm. are going to get to the point where basically all humans are going to be able to talk to each other. Um, you had tablet computers, obviously we have those today. You have communicators, that's now our smartphone. And probably what I think is one of the most interesting but might be one of the things that's least obvious is just the whole concept of natural queries, which was fantastic 50 years ago when the people on Star Trek, the characters, would talk to the computer. Well, we have that today, right? We have Siri. So the idea of just because we can't conceive it today doesn't mean it doesn't exist and the only way it would is magic. Really, the way I would capsulize it is anytime you get an answer to a question, that is, quote, that's not possible, we mm-hmm. should really add the word yet. Ah, I like that. That's a future thinking. I hear optimism in there. Am I right, Brian? I hear optimism. Absolutely. I am far out the curve on optimism. <laughs> there you go. And and funny thing, when I started doing the, the themed series, we have series The Future of Cars with Game Changers, Future of Manufacturing, Future of Utilities, Future of the Future. And I started thinking about the future, and I was curious to look up what it was. And, Brian, I used to introduce several of those series and say, the future is... Oops, that was it. That was the pause after the word is, and it's gone. So, hey, you got to grab it while it's here. And, and I, I don't think we really, but yet, yet could be. After the word yet, that, that's a few that's coming. Maybe it will be. Thank you for your very insightful interpretation of Sir Arthur Clark. By the way, there is a handle on Twitter for Sir Arthur Clark, and I'm using that when I, when I uh, post the quote. So thank you very much. We'll get back to you in a few minutes. And now let's welcome our other new panelist, Tiago Bala, Senior Manager of Deloitte Consulting. And Tiago has sent us a wonderful quote from Henry Ford, who would probably say, 
Internet radio, what? They're still talking about me? What happened to my Model T? Okay, well, it's a lot of models since then. Henry Ford, 1863 to 1947, American industrialist, founder of the Ford Motor Company. Listen up. He did not invent the automobile. He did not invent the assembly line. What he did was develop and manufactured the first automobile that many middle-class Americans could afford. He became one of the richest and best-known people in the world, credited with Ford. What is that? Mass production of inexpensive goods coupled with high wages for workers. Aha. Here's the quote Tiago has selected from Mr. Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Oh, my. Tiago Bala, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Very good, Bonnie. How are you? Uh, well, thank you for asking. That's very kind of you. I'm great, and I'd love to hear how this quote relates to our t- – we're talking finance here. We've already quoted – who we quoted? We've already quoted uh, Dwight Eisenhower. We've already quoted um, Arthur Clark, and now we're quoting Henry Ford. And I want you to connect the dots for me. What does this have to do with our topic, please? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me in the program. So uh, the thing I really liked about this one is more about the self-confidence. Let's uh, break this into two parts. Right? Self-confidence is a very, very powerful thing. Um, if you really, truly believe that you're going to accomplish this one, you're going to make it happen, and you follow your guts and you follow through that one, you're going to really make it happen. On the opposite side of it, you think you can't, you're still right. Because what it happens is it guarantees that you have actually, actually put the efforts to making it happen. Right? So when you, you really fail, it confirms that you did not actually put the efforts to make it happen. That's the key of you know, having both. You think it can happen, cannot fight. So the reason I'm actually having to bring this on the radio show was 20 years ago when we did those financial planning, the way mm-hmm. we thought about the financial planning or the scenario planning was not actually advanced as what we have because we did not have access to real-time data. And we did not have those you know, way too many connected devices. We did not have much connectivity options or internet options. Now, with the real-time data and access to all the information in your fingertips makes it possible, which wasn't possible in the 20 years ago. That's why I think if you really make it happen, if you think you can do it, you can definitely make it happen. The second piece is there are a lot of information out there, but the information is just still a raw data. But you need to know, you need to understand how I can take the information and convert into a meaningful information to run my business. So if you think you can actually make it happen, you put the right efforts and write the mix of technology into it, you can still do it. So Thank that's you, Tiago. That to the finance. Very interesting. I appreciate that. Let me circle around the panel before I ask you where you're, each of you are calling from and what's in your cup today, a little bit about Brian's company. Uh, I have a question. Let's talk about the mindset of the Office of the office of Finance, the Office of the CFO today. Do they have the mindset that Tiago was just talking about? Do they have the mindset of the optimist, the futurist that Brian was talking about? Do they have the mindset of planning is everything Jeff was talking about in the quote from, from Ike Dwight D. Eisenhower? Jeff, let me circle around to you. In other words, as people in finance or anywhere in company leadership who are aware of this topic and say, hey, we, we need to bring our finance office, our function up to speed here. Are they going to be surprised at what you're all saying or are they going to say, yeah, we know, we should have done it a while ago? Are they going to say, yes, we're already doing this. 
this? What are they trying to say to me? So where do you think the majority of, of finance function leaders are around the world in their journey to what we're talking about today? Jeff, just a, let's do a one-minute around, around table, round robin. Jeff, what do you observe? Do we still have Jeff Hattendorf? We do now. Okay, good. Did you hear my question? <laughs> I, did, I did not. I, I got dropped in the middle of uh, transit from the car to the hotel. Sorry. In, in short version, the question was, what is the stage of, shall we say, dynamic and agile planning, uh, awareness, acceptance, and skill level of finance, finance offices around the world? What do you observe? Are they going to be shocked and surprised we're talking about this? Are they going to say, oh, I already knew that, but I didn't start yet? Are they going to say, oh, this is old news. We've done it already. What do you think? What's the level of maturity of the finance office in, in let's say, medium to big companies? Well, for most of the clients I work with, I think they're going to be familiar with the concept, but the, mm-hmm. the actual phrasing or the titling of it as dynamic planning or, or continuous planning sort of related to continuous accounting is going to be somewhat new simply because most companies aren't doing it yet. Uh, the reality is that, that big companies, all kinds of industries, all departments, corporate divisions still work at, when we say the speed of business, we think it's the, it's the hair, but for a lot of companies, it's still the tortoise because we're very reliant upon spreadsheets and a large number of systems that across all of those systems, I have to pull data from lots of different places. And while the actuals, particularly for early adopters, are becoming more readily available to us, the plan data mm-hmm. is not always followed suit as quickly. Thank you. Very interesting. I want to get Brian Kalish's point of view on this. Brian, agree or disagree with Jeff? What do you see? Oh, I pretty much echo what Jeff was thinking. I mean, if you put it on a scale of, you know, zero to ten, ten being perfect and zero being most companies, um, I'd say we're probably about a two, and that's across the world, whether we're talking Asia, North America, Europe, we're about. Um, I think part of the challenge is that we're, we're truly in a transformational time, and basically things that used to be impossible have now become possible. The question is, do we have the, the, the tools, the technology, the people, the processes in place to take advantage of whether we call it dynamic planning, agile planning? Um, so I think most companies, again, kind of echoing what Jeff was saying, most companies have heard this. Maybe they don't really understand the details. And the level of implementation is very low on the maturity curve. That's what I was looking for. I don't know if that's good news. Well, it confirms why we're doing the topic. Tiago Bala at De- Deloitte, what do you observe? Agree or disagree? Definitely agree. Um, so most companies, what we have been working with or what we see in the market space, they definitely understand that they can't operate or they can't do the planning as they did like a 10 or 15 years ago. So they understand it. But at the same time, the challenge is they're still working in silos. Um, they are making some small steps, but it's going to be a, um, another few years before they can really transform and start leveraging this technology and having a uh, more of a integrated planning across the business segments within the each departments. 
Thank you very much. We got that word silos in there. I appreciate that. Thanks for the reality check, the three of you. I know this wasn't our, on our agenda, but I thought it was important to point out why we're doing this. Now let's do our little up-close-and-personal segment called What's in Your Cup Today? Mr. Jeff Hattendorf, somewhere between a car, a staircase, an elevator, a room, somewhere in Germany. Why don't you give us a clue what city you're in right now and tell us what would you love to be drinking if you were somewhere where you could be drinking. Jeff Hattendorf, go ahead. Well, uh, today I'm calling you from the lovely Frankfurt, Germany, uh, where I will get to set, fly back to the States tomorrow. If I could have anything in my cup at this moment, it might actually be coffee here at 6 o'clock or 6.30 at night uh, in Germany. However, the moment we're done with the show, I'm going to go out and have a very nice glass of German red wine and enjoy my evening before I have to get up and make the long trek back home. There you go. Any particular brand or label to that wine? What kind of red would it be? Just a quickie from you? Well, I like the California reds the best. I'm going to have to get the local sommelier to help me pick something that's a little bit lighter in flavor and not so, uh, not so tanny. Okay, not so tanny. Mr. Sommelier, monsieur, you have heard what Mr. Hattendorf wants, so get ready. Here we go. Thank you, Brian T. Kalers. Three questions for you. Number one, where are you calling from? Number two, what would you love to be drinking if it's not in your cup right now? And number three, give me a 90-second overview of what you do at Kalish Consulting. Brian, all yours. Sure. So I am calling you from the suburbs of Washington, D.C., but it's on the Virginia side, but it's certainly a lot easier just to say I'm in D.C., and obviously uh, it's an interesting time, as it always is in Washington, so uh, it's <laughs> always a pleasure, and people want to know what's going on as if I had particular insight, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun time and a, and a beautiful, beautiful city, so I encourage everyone to visit. Um, I guess if I could have anything right now, assuming it was the proper time, it would be a glass of port. So I'm definitely mm. a porty. Um, I've had the, 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 the pleasure of actually uh, spending time at Lisbon's uh, Port Wine Institute, um, mm. kind of a consequence or a, a benefit of uh, working uh, with Wall Street. Uh, Twenty-odd years ago, I was introduced to port and cigar, so that was my ah. uh, education level. Um, as a as a quick story, so I so I'm kind of known as this porty, and so we were at a nice big dinner at an old fashioned uh, hotel here in Washington D.C. the Jefferson, and we probably had about 20 people at dinner, and I happened to be at the head, and everybody knows that Brian is this is this huge you know, porty, and, you know, instead of dessert, he's going to order some special port for himself, so like maybe a 63 or a 77. So anyway, I tell the, the waiter what I want. He brings it to me very formally, puts it in front of me. What the rest of the table didn't know is he whispered what it was into my ear, but mm-hmm. it wasn't what I ordered. So as he's putting it down, I'm t- I say, oh, oh, that's not, that's not what, what I wanted. I wanted something else. And he's, oh, you're absolutely correct. I, I apologize. I'll be right back. Well, now 19 people think that I can identify the port that I want purely by sight. So they're like, how did you do that? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I appreciate the honor, but the gentleman told me what it was, <laughs> and, I, and I just corrected him. So uh, it, it was nice for a moment to peep, uh, for, for folks to think I had this extraordinary power, which I don't. But I do enjoy port, and hopefully I'll be enjoying it soon. As far as what I'm doing today, uh, KOS Consulting, I started this off about two years ago, 
prior, my background was in FP&A and Treasury, mostly for a large financial services company. But just over my career, you know, I had built out this very large network, and people were oftentimes coming to me and helping them on, on particular problems and challenges. And so I actually hung out my own shingle about two years ago. So a lot of what I do on the, on the pure consulting side is uh, a lot of assessments, kind of what we're talking about. People want to understand where they fit in the maturity curve of FP&A. Mm-hmm. But one of my true passions is connecting the FP&A community around the world. And so I do a lot of speaking around the world. I do a lot of, speak, uh, of, of conferences and content building. Um, to give you an idea, next month I will be going to New York, then San Francisco, then San Diego, and then for the first time ever I'm going to Dubai. So... The challenges that we're talking about today are certainly universal, um, and I see them everywhere I go. Very interesting. Thank you very much. And for those of our audience who don't know what FP&A is, it's financial planning and analysis. That's my job to do the uh, do the derivations here. Thank you very much. And I had a whole thing to read on port wine. Just let me tell you this. Port wine, also known as Vino do Porto in Portuguese. Very bad pronunciation, Bonnie. Porto, or simply port, is a Portuguese fortified wine produced exclusively in the Douro Valley, D-O-U-R-O, in the northern provinces of Portugal. Typically sweet red, often served as a dessert wine, also comes in dry, semi-dry, and white varieties. And there are ports being manufactured all over the world. Let's leave it at that. Thank you, Brian. Nice to get to know you. And Tiago, we didn't forget you. Where are you calling from? And what would you love to be drinking today? Okay, I'm actually calling from uh, Houston, Texas. If I haven't okay. given an opportunity, maybe by end of the day, if I can actually grab a bottle of um, wine, specifically from Malfi Coast in Italy. Mm. I had an excellent experience uh, two years ago. Um, we were doing a small wine tour across the Amalfi Coast. And uh, believe me or not, whenever I go to any winery in the Amalfi Coast, it's like so good of a taste of wine. And the, the challenge is you cannot actually import the wine into United States. So it's a huge formal procedure for you to actually get that into the States. The wine costs less, but you have to pay three times to actually bring the wine into the U.S. because they are only allowed to sell within the Amalfi Coast. Uh, two of them um, really I enjoyed was Ravello, uh, which was actually on the coast. Uh, very probably, I would say, uh, 200 uh, meters or 300 meters from the uh, seashore. It was wonderful wine. And all the grapes and everything, vineyard, everything is all right around the vineyard. So given a choice, definitely I would buy more from there. Very, very nice. Nice to know. Some really good drinks here. And we have Pras Chatterjee at SAP, who worked with Chris Grundy to put the show together. And Pras says, I've had my first cup of California coffee in lovely San Diego. Looking forward to dynamically plan for my first local microbrew. There's a creative way of using the concept of dynamic planning. Thank you, Pras. And Chris Grundy is also tweeting. And we are tweeting at hashtag SAPRADIO. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And as Jeff knows, but Brian and Tiago 
who don't. They do not let me in anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. So officially all I have here is a cool, clear cup of water, filtered water, thanks for my Brita, and a pink straw because I'm in North Carolina now, just relocated from New York, no southern accent yet. And it's a beautiful, gorgeous, sunny day, pure blue skies, not a cloud in sight. And so pink is a thankfulness for the beautiful sunny day. I could have had a yellow or orange straw, but I chose pink. So there. We are talking about dynamic and agile planning, the impact of real-time actuals. And the question I posed to the panel a moment ago, just a quick lightning round, was how many offices of finance in various sizes and maturities of companies are actually doing dynamic or continuous planning? And the answer is, ah, not a lot, maybe 20%. So all of you out there, whether you're finance or work with finance or know somebody in finance, listen up. We have a lot more to talk about. My special panelist, Jeff Hattendorf at MacroSpec. Jeff, quick, give me an overview. What's MacroSpec up to? I didn't mean to forget to ask you. What are you up to these days? And then we'll go to break. Jeff? Oh, thank you. We do we do corporate planning, corporate, corporate consolidations, corporate reporting, and corporate accounting. All the fun accounting and finance activities you would ever want in one little package. And I notice on thank you on Twitter, not only are you at the handle at Hattendorf, but you use hashtag brilliantly boring. I'm not even going to ask you to go there, but I think that's adorable. Uh, <laughs> and we also have Brian T. Kalish, Kalish Consulting, and Tiago Bala at Deloitte. Shout out to our friends at Deloitte. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to still be after the break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill by now. We'll be right back. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA Finance, powered by SAP, is part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. 
Exactly. And we're back talking about dynamic, continuous, agile planning, any or all of the above, the impact of real-time actuals. Is your finance team still using spreadsheets, sitting in the basement with the green eye shade, looking back in the rearview mirror? Stop that. You've got to plan. You've got to look forward. And you have to become part of the guidance of the business into the future. Now, we're going to start the roundtable in earnest with Mr. Jeff Hattendorf at MacroSpect. And Jeff told me the following in his notes before the show. He said, while the speed of business in some industries may still be closer to the tortoise than the hare, most companies exist in a highly dynamic environment that requires managers to make effective decisions quickly. Let's talk about dynamic planning. Jeff. Well, we started with that quote from, from Ike. Or, or Dwight D. Eisenhower mm-hmm. at the top of the show. And, you know, when he talked about that quote or wrote about it later, and actually a couple of different sources, he referenced that the, the value of planning was learning what the environment was like and, and, and enabling people, particularly up and down the line, to make good decisions. When we think about dynamic planning and how companies operate today, there are some industries, and, and I've worked with several very large established industries. Um, railroads in particular, where on the surface it looks like it's just a train and it just moves down these tracks that don't move, how complicated can it be? But you work with a couple of the largest industries in North America or railroads in North America, and you find that they take very different approaches to planning the very same kind of business. And one approach is very methodical, starts very bottoms up and works across the top or to the top. The other is actually working across several lines of business with a very different approach. And from from the standpoint of where they're both similar is they're both limited by how quickly they get actual results to see whether or not the plan is actually producing the results they wanted to, to work into the business. So when they've set these goals for themselves, they don't actually get to see the results until 5, 10, 15 days after the month end in a lot of cases. And because they've not been early adopters of technology, they're kind of hamstrung a little bit with how quickly they can plan and adapt to the environment around them. Because they have to compete not just with other railroads, but with the FedExes of the worlds, the UPSs of the worlds, the U.S. Postal Service, everyone who moves containers, trucking companies, shipping mm-hmm. companies. All of these companies that are in logistics now are competing for a lot of the same cargo. And to stay ahead of the game and to react to the environment around them, they have to be able to work more quickly. The, the picture that comes to my head is, I was this earlier, is, doing a three-legged race with one of my kids at a, at a school event probably four years ago. Well, my kids were little. Mm-hmm. And as we're trying to, to, to run down the, the road or down this race path tied together, well, if I'm, the, if I'm the actuals, I'm big and clunky and I'm dragging them along. And the planning part, the, my, my kid was having a hard time keeping up. And it wasn't until we found a rhythm of working together that we had, we had harmony and we actually got good results in the second and third races. Kind of a weird analogy or metaphor, but it's, it's kind of the picture that's been in my head the last couple of days thinking about this show. I'm glad you're sharing that with us. We love picture metaphors. Very much appreciated. Brian T. Kalish, talk to us. What do you think about what Jeff just said? Agree or disagree? Oh, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, the, the velocity of change continues to increase. The magnitude of change continues to increase. I mean, the way that I describe it is that we live in a world of a very high degree of Volca, V-U-C-A, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and, and ambiguity. Excuse me. <laughs> and we have to be able to make better, faster, smarter decisions. But we also have to realize that it's not about being perfect. It's about 
having a really good batting average. So, uh, again, to echo what Jeff was saying, you know, we want to be, if we, if we can be better, we will usually win. So one of my favorite quotes is, and I'm a baseball nut, um, I'm way past being a fan, but Wade Boggs has an in- interesting distinction. He has over 3,000 hits. He actually has 3,010 hits. He's an over 300%, uh, excuse me, uh, he hits over 300%. His career was 328. And they asked him, it's like, how does it feel to make 3,000 hits? And he just looked at him and said, it just means I made 7,000 outs. So here, here's someone who's successful 30% of the time but considered great. And that's pretty much how business is operating right now. There's so much change going on. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be better. Ah, very interesting. Let me just throw a little, maybe a monkey wrench into this conversation right now, Brian. You know, in design thinking, one of the mantras is fail fast, fail often. But I'm adding learn fast from your mistakes if you fail and and do something better the next time. Would that be part of what you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, dynamic planning is a virtual cycle, right? It's, It's not just about finding out what we're doing right. It's about finding out what we're doing wrong and making those changes faster. So, again, echoing what Jeff was saying, we're not waiting two weeks into the next month to find out how we did. The faster we can see what we're doing right and the faster we can see what we're doing wrong, we can make those changes faster. Thank you very much. Fast, fast, fast. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. I'm harking back to uh, the Dwight D. Eisenhower I campaign days, Jeff. No allusions to my age. Thank you very much. Tiago Bala, love to get your <laughs> thoughts. What, 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 we used to carry little signs around the neighborhood. Vote for Ike. Vote for Ike. We didn't know what it was, but we were carrying the signs. I, and I don't even think I, my family was Republican. They weren't. So what can I tell you? Tiago, love to get your thoughts. The speed of business needs to speed up because CFOs need to help the business make better, faster, smarter decisions. Agree or disagree with Jeff and Brian? I think definitely agree with Zach. I would actually call this as a, as a COTS, correction on the spot. So you need to be actually able to do that correction on the spot by using or leveraging the real-time data and make the quick decision-making and route this incident so that we can make some changes to your planning process. As Jeff or Brian was saying, you cannot be perfect 100 times, right? So you always evolve by keep on making your changes to the planning process. That's why we call us dynamic planning. And we have been seeing that the industry is going towards this direction. And, and they, every organization, every CFO will be forced to make this dynamic planning, even though they are not doing it yet right now. Very interesting. COTS, corrections on the spot. I am putting that into a tweet. You knew I would. Uh, Jeff Hattendorf, I'm going to circle around you quickly and ask you to wrap this one up. Any comments on what Brian and Tiago very astutely added to your topic? Well, well both these guys touched on it, and it's, the, it's probably the biggest challenge for any company that wants to engage and embrace dynamic planning is you have to embrace the idea that failure is not fatal. It's, it's a topic that when you talk to co- big companies, even little companies, when you set a plan, people are all nervous that if they don't hit their plan, they're going to fail and they might get fired. The idea of, of doing dynamic planning means you're going to fail, and that's okay as long as you're learning from it and getting better as opposed to simply the act of failing over and over again. At some point, that's a problem. But, but the culture has to change to accept failure as part of the process and the process has to change to support that so that people aren't in fear of their jobs and, and they get better at them by, as a result. 
Thank you very much. Anybody, I heard somebody, anybody want to comment on that before I move on? Because, Brian, I'm ready to go to one of your topics. You ready, Brian? All set. Okay. We're going to talk about the human side of all of this. We've been talking about how many companies are really there. We're talking about failure. That's a very human experience. So, Brian Kalish says, as a rule, nobody likes change. Even if it has a material impact on us, it still creates a level of uncertainty and frustration. Let's talk about uh, how you share Spencer Johnson's Who Moved My Cheese. Let's just do a, a quick segue into this one, and then I'm going to go to one of your more dynamic planning topics. But, Brian, this was too good not to talk about it so quickly. How do you, would you give the book away? Oh, absolutely. Yep. I'm, I'm a big fan. Actually, it was, uh, it was funny. I was in, um, uh, Amsterdam um, uh, with SAP uh, back in June, and you know here in the U.S. or at least my world, you, you, you learn all the time that just because you know it doesn't mean anyone else knows it. But who moved my cheese is, is very common, and so I'm kind of it was a throwaway line I was having in a speech that I was giving, and I had all these people come up to me afterward say, "What are you talking about? What is this? Who moved my cheese?" So it, you know it's a very simple story, but people just have to understand that no one likes change, right? I mean it. it, it you, you realize you're going to have it. I mean, if every day I moved where you sat in your office, it doesn't really impact what you do, but you're not going to like it. So the idea that, especially, again, with our topic of dynamic planning, there's changes going on all the time, and you have to become an even better communicator to explain we're making these changes because the ultimate goal that we're trying to reach has changed in some way. So, again, I've just found it very useful, you know, literally, <laughs> that, like, you know, like every 18 months or some folks know Brian's going to walk around and throw out copies of, uh, of uh, Who Moved My Cheese. And like I said, it's a 20-minute read, but, I've, but it, for me, it's been useful through my entire career. It's just a nice level set to go. Change is okay. We're all going to be fine. We're going to get to a better place. <laughs> Thank you. Very, very prophetic, I hope. Now, let's go to one of your more serious topics, and I don't mean to demean that one, but I had to get that in because I wanted you to mention the book. So, you say, as many of us get caught up in this summer of intrigue and suspense created by characters and storylines of Game of Thrones, it leads Brian Kalish to think about how annual budgets, forecasts, and plans are also full of intrigue, anticipation, and unexpected finding and results. So, why don't you give us a two-minute overview of what this means, Brian, and then we'll get Tiago to comment, and we'll invite Jeff back in. So, go ahead. So, certainly. So, um, and it was touched on earlier, and it really comes to the concept of silos. I mean, we've got technology silos that prevent us from getting access to our information so that we can you know, truly get to the, the holy grail, which is a single version of the truth. But we also have department silos in the sense that marketing and sales and HR, and we all have different agendas at times. And if we're not on the same page, moving in the same direction, we can end up nowhere. Now, you know, ideally, uh, at our companies, we're not going to end up at the, wed- you know, at the red wedding. Um, but, you know, we do have to keep in mind that just because someone doesn't agree with us doesn't mean that it's based on malice. And so oftentimes what I've found in my career is we just have to go, it actually kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, it was we have to take that extra step and have people understand why we're doing it, things the way we are. And again, 
touching on, especially on dynamic planning, why we're making changes. Because, you know, in the old style, you know, we, you know, we, we put our annual plan in, we drop it, and then basically at the end of the year we look and see how we did. You don't have, you know, somebody coming down saying, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're, you know, we're going to move in this direction, which kind of actually does swing back to what we were talking about with, you know, who moved my cheese. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's really looking at the organization in a very holistic way and realize that we every piece is important and to get to the ultimate goal we all have to be in step and when changes do occur we have to be very good at, at explaining why these changes have to take place because it will get us to where we want to go um, a simple analogy you know would also be like you know if i want to drive from new york to Los Angeles, you know, I, I put a plan in place, but depending on mm-hmm. traffic, depending on what happens with my car, depending what happens, you know, uh, with weather, I'm going to deviate. And so, again, it's kind of touching on what Jeff was saying. It's not failure that we didn't do the plan exactly the way that we envisioned it, um, as long as we're, you know, heading towards our goal. Thank you, Brian. Very insightful. Tiago Bala at Deloitte. And by the way, uh, Carla Neal is listening and tweeting. Thank you, Carla, at KLN54. That's your Twitter handle. Join Carla and me at hashtag SAP Radio. Tiago, love to get your thoughts on the concept of change, the new reality. Planning can no longer be annual. You've got to move with the times. What do you think, Tiago? I think uh, definitely people do not like the change in most organizations. It could be a uh, tool change, or it could be a process change. Uh, whatever the tool they are actually working on, or whatever the process they are following, they do not want to change. However, because they're more attached to the process, but it cannot be the same way if they want to sustain in the business. So we, oftentimes, when you go and change the process, um, they've been actually doing only an annual process, or maybe a quarter end. Now I can see in the last few years, the trend has actually changed from a quarterly plan into a, a rolling forecast. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, every month they are doing it. They're always looking for next 12 months to 24 months. That change we are seeing a lot is happening. But still, within that, they still they follow the same process, but they are not adapting yet to the dynamic planning. But soon they will be starting into uh, doing dynamic planning. Uh, for instance, in one of the places where we worked, um, the planners, they actually set the planning on a monthly basis. Halfway in the month, we still actually take the data, then go back and do some predictive and come back with some analysis and give the users. Even though that numbers were very close to the next month planning process, the user were not truly adaptive to the new process. So that has to change. And it's slowly changing. It's going to take some time. Thank you. Very interesting. That word change keeps coming up. Jeff Hattendorf, briefly, what do you observe on this topic? Well, that, that people individually can adapt to change, so it's not scary for individuals, but, but large groups tend to shy away, from, shy away from change. And maybe the best example of that, and this will date me a little bit, in the last 30 years is when New Coke came out and the whole world was in uproar. New Coke, you've changed the formula. No. Yet an individual, single-person taste test, New Coke actually scored better than classic Coke. But when everybody got upset about it, the mob and the herd moved against the change. So sometimes, and this is where leaders and organizations have to be aware, is that you've got to find the individuals who will adapt the change and will be your proponents because they can influence the, the adoption for change. 
takes more work than those who have pushed against change. But, but individuals can adapt. It's the large groups where we have the most problems, and you've got to very early on identify who, who can participate and help push the change forward. It's not impossible. It just requires some planning and some execution. Jeff, whose job is it to initiate, to be the proponent, to be the flag waver, flag bearer, if you will, old terminology, to say, okay, big group, enough is enough. We have to start dynamic. We have to start agile. We have to start planning in the moment. We have to look at real-time visibility. The tools are there, damn it. It's time or out the door. Is that really going to happen? And is it the CFO's job? Is it somewhere in middle management? Does it happen in each silo individual and they all get together for the annual picnic and say, did you know we're doing dynamic planning? No. Could we do it too? I don't know. Can you be adaptable to change? How does it happen, Jeff? Well, the, the easier or the, maybe the patent answer would be everybody who has your business card near you, pull it out. And if you see the word chief or director or executive <laughs> of any kind on your card, by definition, you have leadership responsibility. And if your organization opts to make a change, you've committed by, by being employed there to help make that change happen. The reality is, even in large companies where you have lots of people with those titles, not everyone is cut from the same cloth. Everyone has different skills and abilities. And so it falls upon really the CFO and I would say the CEO to go back and look at the organization, both from an execution standpoint and from a finance standpoint, and identify who are their leaders. And they have to be at different levels of the organization. It can't just be top down. You have to have people at the, at the lowest level, the mm-hmm. front lines, who are willing to adapt to change. And quite frankly, the older we get, the more cranky we are about change. I like my coffee the way I like my coffee. I don't want a made cold brew or anything else. Now, I've, I've, I've come to like the cold brew from Starbucks, but I didn't start out that way. Yeah. It's the younger generation adapts more quickly. So you want to you wanna look across the organization, but the ultimate responsibility and accountability falls to the CEO and the CFO. Thank you very much. I have to move on. And, Tiago, I want to pick up something from your notes here. We don't have a lot of time left, so I'm just going to let you explain this. Let's talk about scenario planning. You say available information enables scenario planning and real-time insight-driven decision-making. I want you to give the example of the public health community and talk about real-time data. And what is scenario planning, Tiago? Let's get a little lesson from you, please. Okay. So, in a nutshell, um Instead of doing a traditional planning, when I say traditional planning, um, meeting the targets. So your CFOs or CEOs will come back with the targets and people or planners will be working towards the numbers. Instead, you may want to actually work on different future instead of just working on one future. So that is the key for every organization, right? Scenario planning is very, very fluid. When I say very fluid, it's going to change a lot, Um at the same time, you should also balance with what you are trying to do a scenario planning. You don't want to actually plan for all the million probabilities, maybe 10 to 15% of the risk of what you're going to take. That's the key thing. Especially if you look at now, uh, the emergence of new market, technology, social media, and become a very, very dynamic world where it's constantly uh, changing and a lot of unpredictability is actually happening in the business. So unless you are willing to incorporate the scenario planning and also incorporate risk planning into your scenario planning and find out different ways of how do I mitigate those risks, you are not going to be actually sustaining the business for a long time. So that's the key of scenario planning. Like say, for instance, we're talking about a public health company, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the com- you never know. It may actually be an outbreak of a pandemic. So how do I do this one? If this happens, mm-hmm. 
uh, what are the states really affecting what are the steps i should be actually making for us to address it it might happen it may not happen but what are the top 15 priorities what are the top 20 risk you are actually really afraid of you don't want the company to go through that's the thing you should be addressing as part of a scenario planning Thank you very much. Good insights there. Appreciate that. We are already in our crystal ball predictions round. I just wanted to get that example in. Good conversation. Jeff Hattendorf, you know what happens now. I'm going to start by giving you each, oh, my goodness, I can give you each 90 seconds, but keep it really, really tight. Jeff Hattendorf traveling in Germany before he comes back to the U.S. I'm looking for a prediction from you, your perspective as a longtime professional in the finance and planning field and as co-founder of MacroSpec. Jeff, Let's start with 60 seconds. If I have extra, we'll do a bonus round. Look into the crystal ball. I'm still kind of fond of 2020. You know, it's 2020 coming three New Year's Eves away. Put something good on ice. Uh, Brian, get that port ready. So, Jeff, what do you see changing about dynamic, continuous, agile planning, scenario planning, all this good stuff we've been talking about? What will change dramatically, let's say, between now and 2020? Jeff Hattendorf, 60 seconds. All yours. Go. Well, first... We're going to go from guessing what this term means, and we'll have a more common definition. We'll, we'll be out of the really early adoption phase and into uh, there will be some established companies who have begun to adopt this. Second, and I think more importantly, we won't be as focused, as we were talking a minute ago, on scenario planning for the sake of having different scenarios. We're, we're going to focus on those scenario, that scenario planning so that we know how to react when something in the business changes. We simply know by the nature of the world and the pace of change around our businesses that we can't react fast enough. We can't plan for every contingency. So we have to practice the planning so when something starts to happen, we can react to it very quickly. And the third thing that I think that does come back a little bit to scenario planning being having some validity is we're going to do triggered planning. So we're going to have specific triggers that bring us back into, plan, into line to restart our planning process as opposed to having planning being continuous and never-ending. Thank you very much. And unfortunately, radio is, is continuous, but we don't have the privilege of never ending. So I'm looking at the clock. Thank you, Brian T. Kalish. You've got 60 seconds. We'd love to hear your predictions. Go. I think the, one of the biggest changes is going to be the skill set that we want to have in our finance and FP&A professionals. Um, you know, robotics, automation, a lot of the boring low-value activities that we still have people involved in are going to go away over the next three to five years um, because of the advances that we have in technology. What's going to be great about it is we're actually going to use humans to do what they do best, which is you know, value-added is the analysis, right? So we're just going to move away from this world of spending all our time on acquisition, cleaning, preparing the data, to really converting the data into information that we can then transform into knowledge, which at the end of the day, what we really care about all this is making good, actionable decisions. Um, so I think that's going to be the big change. I think dynamic planning definitely is going to become the, the standard uh, in companies going forward, just because, again, for all the reasons that we've talked about, that you know, the world just continues to change. And I, I haven't met anyone, whether it's in Australia, Indiana, or in Amsterdam, that thinks we're going to move to a slower world. So um, <laughs> the world will continue to change. We will change with it. Um, but I think we're going to get to a better, uh, more robust uh, environment that are, actually our jobs are going to be more interesting and more fun to do. Wouldn't that be nice? We talked about that on my last show, Future of the Future, talking about the repetitive tasks will be taken place, taken over by machine learning, and IoT is already pro pro providing volumes, avalanches of data, and people will be freed up to think 
with our brains the way we're supposed to. Here we go. Tiago Bala, 60 seconds. Love to get your prediction. What do you see? Um, definitely the next few years, there's going to be a huge technology shift in this industry, uh, meaning we're going to be having more uh, predictive analysis going to be in the play, uh, Internet of Things, blockchain, um, all those things are going to make up a huge role, which means it's going to basically free up your manual processes or probably free up your resources time so that they can actually get the real value of the data and make some meaningful business decisions to help the business grow. Um, I can just give a quick one-minute one example, right? Say, your CFO today is having some real-time information. However, he cannot actually, or he's not in a position to make all those decisions real-time. But maybe in 2020, if you're actually doing this, probably you may be getting a, um, doing a voice query to get some feedbacks about your company positions, what they do right now, and where my company stands, what is my movements, what is my competitive response. In the meantime, the same information, the business or the automatics or robotics should be able to give them these are the paths you can actually take to actually mitigate your risk. That's what the world is going towards now. Thank you, Tiago. We are time out. Here we go. I'm Bonnie DeGram. I want to thank my three panelists extraordinaire, Jeff Hattendorf, Brian T. Kalish, Tiago Bala. Let's look at what's going on here. Let's see. Tomorrow I will be back talking about... Um, incentive programs with two people, two uh, high-up leaders from Vistex Corporation. I met them and talked to Cara DeGraff, one of their top leaders at Sapphire this year. And we'll have a panelist from SAP talking about incentive programs for your partners and customers. How do you get to the bottom line when you're juggling so many programs? Aha. So everybody needs to listen to that. So I want to thank our three panelists today. I want to thank Chris Grundy and Pras Chatterjee for putting together this wonderful panel. We're thrilled to have financial excellence with game changers back in the schedule chris thank you so here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like jeff hattendorf just like brian t kalish and just like tiago bala bonnie d graham signing off talk to you tomorrow morning right here on the business channel 11 a.m eastern you don't want to miss it for the coffee break join me have a great one and thanks to kevin our engineer bye-bye Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.